Divorce doesn't just affect the parents and children involved. From co-workers and employees to friends, neighbors, and spouses, the toxic fallout of divorce and years of mismanaged conflict can touch us all, all over North Carolina and America, changing the way we approach the world. Ashley Nicole Russell believes in a better way forward. Drawing on her personal and professional experience, Ashley Nicole is changing the conversation around divorce and conflict resolution as a whole. Providing thoughtful insight into this culture of conflict and the statistical effect on children and adults while offering collaborative strategies at home and in the workplace. It's time to find a better way forward, both individually and as a community of people across America, here on Divorce Healthy. We are, as you know, in the season of collaborative on our new season of Divorce Healthy, and we have been running through a lot of amazing topics. We've had a lot of really amazing guests on, and today we're going to kind of deep dive, some deep thinking, and I really want to explain to you the level of importance that I think that this makes in the culture of conflict that the divorce world is I believe that thought processes like we're going to be talking about today and research around topics like the ones that we're going to be discussing today make the difference in how people who are like you, who are going through divorce or professionals who are involved in the divorce world, how we hurdle either the world that we're in and practicing in or the world that you found yourself in if you are going through a divorce. And so mindset is something that I have spent a lot of time since my own divorce studying really involving myself in. I have had a lot of what I call man in the mirror moments where I try to really think about myself, where I've come from, how I handle conflict, how I deal with things. And I've had a childhood that was very um, infused with conflict, had a lot of adversity. And so I've always personally regarded myself as having been successful because of the adversity that I had been through. And so a lot of you know a lot about my childhood, and that's why I'm a part of this process. A lot of people in the divorce world are here because they're very passionate about it. And our guest today, whenever I introduce him here in a minute, he is not affiliated with the divorce world process as much, but the insight that he's going to bring is very in touch with this concept that I've been thinking through, which is how you think about and reflect on and deal with the scenario that you're in right now, which is the divorce if you're you know, going through that, is very effective on how you actually manage it on the other side. And so I've been doing this for over a decade, and I've really had an amazing perspective because I've been able to see a lot of results off of litigation and then a lot of results out of the collaborative process. And so I started in collaborative straight out of law school, but I do have another law firm with a law partner that I don't practice in who does do litigation. And so I'm able to have a very clear view of the stark contrast between those clients and the collaborative clients. One of the hallmarks from the collaborative clients is that they, in a very large way, think about the experience of their divorce in a way that They approach it in wanting to learn something from it, to be reflective on it, to try to approach it in the most positive manner possible, whereas a lot of the clients who are going through litigation due to the circumstances that they're thrown into and the lack of control of their own ability to make decisions very much so approach it with a different mindset where it is a very stark 
mindset, very dramatic, very ominous feel about what the outcome will be. And then those outcomes seem to go along with that mindset. And so as I was listening to Hidden Brain, which is a podcast that I listen to in order to try to expand my mind, I came across this expert, and his name is Aranda Jayawakrama, and he has uh, received his PhD in psychology from UPenn, that's right, around the same time that I actually was getting my license as well, so we are been practicing around the same amount of time, but Aranda is here, and he is going to talk to us about this approach of mindset, and um, Aranda, thank you so much for being on the podcast I am very pumped that you are here and that we are going to have a a deep dive discussion today. You're very kind. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So we talked a little bit before we got started. And I know that, um, uh, you know, I posed a couple of questions to you and you were like, very interesting to think about this in terms of the divorce world, this culture of conflict that divorce is. And with the background that collaborative really is seeking to be a very evolved method of approaching divorce, a very mindful method where the parties sit together, they agree not to go to court, they agree to use mutual specialists, they're very much trying to make the very best out of the circumstance that they are, are at, which is the decision to get divorced. And then litigation is a very different contrast, whereas those people you know, are not necessarily able to make those decisions themselves. The control is within the court. There's high, high, high conflict. You're having to show that the other person is a bad person in order to try to get custody, and it's a it's a culture of conflict. And so, as I was listening to the a lot of the work that you, a lot of the studies that you've um, been involved in, and a lot of the work that you've been able to produce, at first I was almost like, well, he doesn't believe that you're successful out of controversy. I am a hundred percent successful out of controversy. <laughs> And then I listened longer and I opened my mind and and you are in fact saying that you're successful, but it's a different description of success. It's empathy, it's wisdom, those types of things. So if that's enough of the stage to set kind of where I think there's an intersection here, I would love for my clients to hear this in a way that's not coming from me. So maybe they would have an opportunity to kind of apply your studies to themselves. Thoughts? <laughs> so yeah, so you know, one reason why I have been working on this question of how people can respond in adaptive ways in the wake of different types of adverse situations is that growing up for the most part in Sri Lanka, but then also living in the United States for the past 20 or so years, I've realized that when people talk about trauma or adversity, people tend to talk about it in sort of somewhat simplistic ways, either in terms of, well, all types of trauma are bad. It's going to impact you negatively. It's a terrible thing. Or there's this almost Superman-like or uh, superhero type uh, story where adversity is going to make you stronger, right? And one thing that's clear from some of the research that I've done, from a lot of research that other psychologists and behavioral scientists have done is the picture is actually a lot more complex than that. And that complexity, like the relationship between adversity and changes in yourself, extends to divorce, which is, which is a particularly complex experience, right? So to give you one example, many people might think of divorce as this one-off event, right? Where you were a certain person before the uh, divorce and they become a completely different person after. Whereas the truth is that the action of divorce is the outcome of a, long, of a longer process, right? So it's not as if people are particularly happy or going about their normal, normal lives until they get divorced, right? The divorce is the outcome of a period of stress and challenge. 
So when we think about how we are impacted by divorce, in many ways, the bigger impact might be in the years leading up to divorce, right? So when we think about divorce as an experience, it's not a one-off event, right? It's, if anything, a series of multiple events that led up to this, that culminated in this single event, right? So that's one way in which Absolutely. I think it's, it's one way in which I think thinking about divorce as a life event requires a very sophisticated perspective. And it's also true that, I mean, thinking about my family, right? So I'm of Sri Lankan heritage. There are very strong social norms about not getting divorced, right? Maybe similar to norms that might have existed in the U.S. maybe a few generations back. So if you would talk to some of my most senior family members, they might say, oh, divorce is clearly a negative or traumatic life event. Whereas, well, it really depends, right? So if you are in a very unhappy marriage, getting divorced must feel like a release, right? It must feel like it is a combination that leads to this positive shift. For other people, it might be, you know, it might involve a sense of personal failure, right? Maybe your sense of self was tied up in the idea of being successful in marriage and you have to deal with that. And then for other people, right, it might be that they are pretty resilient in the sense that, you know, for a number of reasons, they weren't particularly unhappy before the onset of divorce and then they end up being their normal selves afterwards, right? So I think, you know, another thing that makes divorce, I think, interesting is that you can't really categorize it as a negative or traumatic life event of itself because whether it is negative or positive depends on the perspective of the people in, in, in the relationship. So I think divorce is a very interesting life event and not surprisingly, especially in a lot of the more methodologically sophisticated studies that have been done, you see very different trajectories in the sense that different people differ in how they do in the wake of, of uh, divorce, right? So some people... Their trajectory leading up to divorce in terms of their well-being is a negative trajectory, right? So they're struggling in the wake, in the months and years leading up to divorce. And then you have the divorce year where there tends to be a sharper decrease in uh, your life satisfaction or your well-being. But interestingly, people who identify as men do a lot worse. We can talk a bit about the potential reasons why, but their well-being tends to dip a lot more significantly than those who identify as women. And then on average, you have this recovery period where on average, you see people recovering in terms of their well-being in the years following the divorce. And again, you have different trajectories. So some people are going to recover and maybe return or exceed their baseline levels of well-being. Some people may not recover. And we could talk about the reasons why. But just to wrap up this summary, people have very different responses to, a, to divorce. And it's very important to keep that in mind when we think about the types of lessons or the type of advice we want to give to people. Definitely agree. And my, I think, focus is the environmental differences between the collaborative process and maybe the people who would be attracted to the collaborative process, and then also the environmental differences of a litigation process. But I guess what I'm trying, because the goal is, for my goal in life, is to try to change how divorce is handled in America, because I know from my own research how much more positive and more positively, the more positive effect that collaborative has on the entire family and specifically the generations to come so that we can kind of prevent the continual repetition of that type of behavior within family generations, because a lot of this is an internal type of conflict that then reverberates itself later. And so to effectively model conflict resolution within the collaborative process, I think then allows people to kind of change their mindset towards the circumstances that they're in. And specifically, One thing that you had said before was how you reflect on your own suffering affects the results of your suffering. 
And that positive or negative mindset around the event, if it leads to exploratory processing of an adverse event, it can lead to a more successful recovery. And I guess the reason that that resonated with me so deeply is that the collaborative process specifically is trying to have a transformative effect. So it's actually trying to bring the two people in a place where they really have very callous communication, cannot understand each other at all, to come to a, to a, a container is what we call it, where we can help them to control the environment enough so that they are not flooded with cortisol and adrenaline so that they can actually have, and you had talked about it um, before whenever you were saying acceptance and commitment therapy. So they can essentially do this in this room with us. We're agreeing as professionals to just swim in the emotions of their conflict to give them an opportunity to reflect long enough to actually have substantial change while we're also dealing with finalizing all the legal concepts of their divorce. And the reason I gravitated to this process myself was that I had experienced a childhood of an inability to deal with any type of conflict, very poor conflict modeling, conflict resolution modeling. And I saw that the the effects of this on people and even on myself as a professional, just doing this nonviolent communication and I statements and trying to get these transformative effects for other people had an absolutely life-altering effect on my own life. And so when I was listening to you talk about primary control and then secondary control, primary control, to a certain extent, you can control if you're getting divorced, but not if you're the person that's being divorced. You have no control over that. But the secondary control that you can put in place is of how you're dealing with the situation, finding a resource that won't amp up the animosity between you, trying to protect your own mindset so you can protect your children. How do you, do you think that those types of things based on, you know, some of these statements that I'm regurgitating that you had said before, what are your thoughts about that? Because I totally understand that divorce is a journey. And what's interesting about what you said is, you know, when they actually get divorced is a totally different thing than when all their property gets split, when the custody decision happens. Yeah. Because normally when the custody decision happens is when you see that detrimental slope (laughs) in litigation. Now, in collaborative, all that happens at the same time. So it is really one event more so than it is in litigation. So in listening to it, I know it's a lot of information, and I'm sure you've got a lot of things going on in your head. But what are your thoughts there? Oh, so I have a few things to say. So first of all, um, (laughs) you know, I just want to uh, sort of um, reiterate something you said earlier, Ashley Nicole, about the fact that in some cases, one reason why people struggle with divorce is that they may have had a childhood or they may have had prior life experiences they don't necessarily give them the tools to help navigate conflict success successfully. So they have to figure out how to learn those tools, right? Agreed. So, you know, <laughs> one, one prediction of whether people don't return to their baseline level of well-being or their pre, like, you know, their pre-divorce level of well-being following divorce is their pre-existing level of well-being. So in other words, people who get divorced tend to have lower levels of well-being on average then people don't get divorced. And one explanation for that is because they've grown up in childhoods or they've grown up, they've had life experiences that haven't given them the tools to navigate interpersonal challenges successfully, right? Which then explains what are called their lower levels of well-being overall. So I do think to the extent to which you can find strategies to help people get these tools to have a more positive, collaborative discussion about how to move forth in the wake of divorce, right? I think that can be helpful. Now, I will say that, and maybe this will be helpful for some people listening to the podcast, 
learning about the value of these tools before you get into the nitty-gritty of divorce is probably helpful because when you're in the, in the midst of divorce, I can imagine how it's very hard to find the mental space to separate your own sense of self and your own long-term goals that in part you're trying to achieve through in a settlement from the very visceral feelings you might have, right? Right. When you're going through a divorce, right? So, so my hope, you know, it might be that there's some people who listen to this podcast who may be able to benefit from uh, some of these strategies. But like you said earlier, there are techniques like acceptance and commitment therapy that talk about how it's helpful to try and separate your own sense of self and your own values and your own mid and long-term goals from your emotional experience, right? So in many cases, right, when we're upset or when we feel very strong emotions, our sense of self and what we want and what will make us happy is tied very much to our immediate emotional experience. Uh, and that can lead us to make choices that, while they might make us feel good in the short term, are probably detrimental in terms of the long-term goals that we seek or we want. So what commitment and, uh, acceptance of commitment therapy tries to do is that it tries to encourage people to reflect on their sense of self as distinct from their emotional experience. So yes. I, I'm not a clinical psychologist, but I have collaborated with some of my colleagues and friends who are clinical psychologists on interventions that try to help people in the wake of major or significant adversity and trauma. And one of the ingredients we use is having people reflect on their values, what they want for their lives, and then very systematically try and think about, okay, this is what I want. Here are the specific goals. You break them down. And then here's how I'm going to try and commit to them. So in yes. the context of negotiating in the wake of a, of, of a divorce, you can imagine how someone could think, okay, despite how I feel, this is what I want for me. This is what I want for my children or my family. And here are the specific goals that fall out of that, which might involve being able to have a reasonable discussion with my ex-partner about specific topics, signaling very clearly that you don't want to have an adversarial or a combative divorce process, but you want to work together and come up with a solution that works for everyone involved. And once you have those goals, there might be ways in which you, you could commit yourself to those goals, right? Because we're all human, right? I might be very positively inclined towards a settlement in the morning, then I remember something in the afternoon, or I have a bad interaction with my ex-partner, <laughs> and that changes, right? Yeah. <laughs> to the extent to which you can find ways to commit yourself, right? And, you know, there might be one strategy might be, and I'm sure, you know, I'm not a lawyer, right, at all, but it might be that having representatives work on your behalf to talk about these things, right? That could be, that, that, that's probably one of the best ways forward. So there are clear strategies you can use. I will say, and I'll reiterate what I said earlier, it is challenging to do this in the immediate, in the context of a divorce. And I have a lot of sympathy for people who might struggle with this. It's also especially challenging if you're the only person who wants a, <laughs> what I call a positive resolution, right? And the other person isn't in that space, right? Uh, and, you know, we should have empathy for everyone involved in this type of procedure because when you're going through a divorce, right, it is challenging. But it, from your perspective, that presents an additional issue, right? If you are willing to have this reasonable discussion about what you both want constructively uh, for your post-divorce relationship or in your post-divorce future, and the other person isn't quite there. I think that the way that it's described in your research, the commitment Despite that there are events outside of your control, what are your values? How can you commit to the movement forward with those values? And then this, this concept of calling it exploratory processing of an event. I think just even using these words and having this conversation with you, because a lot of the people that are listening to my podcast are not going to get divorced for a year or two or three. You right, know, right. like this is very much so their research and building up to 
what am I going to do? How can I best protect my children? How can I best protect myself? In what is the American divorce world, which was definitely a, a war type culture. Yeah. And so people are, are very much so looking for this, but also people who are younger, who are even my generation and below, ha- went through a divorce where their parents went through a very intense adversarial divorce, a lot of them because of the vo- divorce rates and how high they are. And we know how many families that those in then affect later don't want to be anything like that, don't want to be anywhere near it. So they're looking for these types of processes, just, just to even describe it as exploratory processing. When I think even myself about, you know, I live in the past a lot of my parents. Like I relive, my, my husband had wonderful parents, has had a wonderful childhood, has never had an adverse event in his entire life almost. And so he sees things dramatically differently than I do. He's also not kind of torpedoed to the past as much as I am. I try, I time travel a lot and remember those things all the time. Just to even think about it, like your exploratory processing, what that event meant to you, not becoming emotionally connected to it and then reflecting on how your values you can commit to, to move forward. That immediately starts to get you out of the box thinking, you know, because you are pulling back long enough to have more of a 50,000 foot view. Yeah, yeah. So I think these conversations, just us talking about it and using this terminology helps people to have this almost dissociation ability so that they can then process the event and then kind of come back to processing their own emotions of it once they've gotten through the divorce legal proceeding process. And so I think that all these words, they just meant so much to me. I wanted us to be able to get on a podcast so that you could say them and we could kind of talk about it. Obviously, it's not going to, it's not a fix all for everyone. It's not like how to be healed on the other side of your divorce. It's just how to open your mind in how to reflect on the event that's happening to you and what that reflection could then produce for you. Do you think that that's an appropriate way to say that? doubling down on what you have inside you is one thing that you said. And I think that that and how unusual, unexpected events can create creativity. And I think those things are things that you had mentioned at one point or uh, the conversation on Hidden Brain that came about that, you know, that's one thing that religion does is it gives people kind of that uh, ability to deal with why are you dealing with suffering? And this is a different process. It's just thinking of why are you dealing with suffering, giving it some meaning, not necessarily that it was worth it, but that what could the result be on the other side that you could build from? And I think that's what I want to teach my clients the most, because if they can figure out how to do that, the modeling of that for their children will mean more for their children than anything else that could come out of this divorce. If they can figure out how to kind of do that in their minds, the modeling of that in conflict for what their children are seeing is substantial, you know? And I think that's what I want for my clients. This is excellent. What I would say is that when we think about exploratory processing, right, I'm someone who's skeptical of the idea that, oh, any trauma, any adverse event is going to bring you benefits, so it's going to make you grow. But I do think yeah, I that... Yeah, I got that out yeah, of the podcast. Right. <laughs> but but I, I do think that, you know, especially when you're confronted with the reality that your marriage is ending, I, I do think one reason why thinking about in terms of exploratory processing is helpful is that in some way, thinking about a divorce as an opportunity for you to reflect on yourself, to reflect on how you want to be going forward, to really think about what lessons, what meaning, ways in which you could potentially change for the better... Right? It's opportunity, right? It's opportunity because for the most part, we go about our lives thinking we are pretty good, right? You know, there's this well-known better-than-average effect where 
almost everyone thinks they're better than average, which is like mathematically impossible. But you know, I think most, most of us do that. And to some extent, it, it's adaptive, right? Yes. Because it keeps us confident. It gives us a sense of self-efficacy, a sense that we can actively and successfully engage in all, you know, all our responsibilities. But I do think when you go through the, you know, the experience of, uh, of, of ending a marriage, it is an opportunity for you to step back and reflect on what you think you've done, what, how you think you've behaved well, ways in which you think you could do better, right? Because it, it's probably true that there are behaviors or things you could do differently going forward that maybe you were doing in a different way and not, particularly, not in a particularly good way in the past, right? Because no one is, I mean, clearly there are marriages where the fault really lies with one person. But in many cases, it's cyclical, right? So it's all, it's people not, not being their best selves and that, you know, leading in turn to end of a marriage. So I do think that reflecting on the lessons you can learn and how you can change in the wake of, of the end of a marriage is very helpful, especially because it gives you the opportunity then to move past some of the skills or coping strategies you might have, you might have learned when you were younger, right? Or some of the maybe exactly. less than adaptive coping strategies you learned in response to adversity or, or, into, or interpersonal challenges that you learned when you were, you were younger. So in other words, if you don't go through this process of exploratory processing, where you're trying to figure out what are, what are the lessons you can learn from this, you do run the risk of repeating the same mistakes down the line. And I'll mention one thing, one additional thing, is that this process of exploratory processing will likely take longer the immediate post-divorce period. So yes. <laughs> even, you know, even if you are going through, like you're thinking about how to be your best self when you're going through a collaborative process in any of your marriage, it's fine if you also feel very conflicted or you, you feel like it's unresolved because that takes time. And research suggests that over the next like five years or so, most people do resolve a lot of that emotional baggage, right? They do end up being pretty pretty happy compared to their pre-divorced selves within around five years of the end of marriage on average. So being able to, even if you are going through a collaborative, this collaborative experience of ending your marriage and you feel like, no, I, I still don't know how I think about the end of this mar- uh, marriage. I still don't know whether I've learned anything. I still don't know whether I feel happy about this. I think giving yourself, giving yourself some grace and acknowledging that, well, that process is going to take time. And to be honest, it might be when you're, when you're moved past that intense emotional experience of divorce, that's when you might have more psychological resources to reflect on the lessons that might be helpful for you to learn in the wake of divorce. Beautiful insight. And I think that that is so much of what I want for my clients, because I can really, when I think about all of the clients that I've had, the ones that stand out to me the most are the ones who committed to this process the most, you know, like they're the ones that had the most life altering change and are really the reasons why I do believe in a lot of the things that I believe in now, like I've learned a lot from my career. I have learned a lot from watching people process conflict and pain over and over and over again for a decade, you know, and I knew like the intricacies of their life. And to the people who really inspired me to do even more of the personal work because they were so committed to the reflective, to the exploratory reflection and, and processing that I even started to do it even more myself. And, it, and, and honestly, collaborative, being a collaborative practitioner and having these types of thought processes and resources within the professions that we have, because we deal with a lot of um, psychologists in the process and a lot of that research. We deal with a lot of that getting to, yes, nonviolent communication, constantly studying that. It has allowed me myself to process my parents' divorce, my own divorce, which was in the wake of that. You know, and I kind of fell into that, st- that statistic of divorce as well, which is that if your parents are divorced, 
you are very much more likely to get divorced. So alcohol and substance abuse is a big part of, of divorce for both the people going through the divorce, but also the children later in life. And then um, suicide is a huge, a huge piece of the industry that we're in that we're trying to you know, protect against. And so when I think about the people who did it best, if I think about the clients who did it best, I think about the ones who really put the work in. And whenever I was listening to you say, you don't necessarily, you're not Superman on the other side, but you have knowledge and you have empathy and you have creativity. I feel like those three things resounded the most. For instance, I, that a lady really wanted to ride motorcycles and she just never did through her divorce. It was always, you know, this thing. And she ended up like she comes back for because you once you get separated, you sign, but then you get divorced later and then you sign. So she comes back for the second signing. And I mean, she comes in on this beautiful work of art, Harley, pulls this helmet off, has like her hair coming out of the helmet and like has gone on all of these crazy trips across the country with these people that she's met that she would have never interacted with before has this entirely new life, is glowing. And they, you know, very much so wanted to have an amicable effect. Her husband, he's there. Her ex-husband, he's there too. He's had a wonderful life. He had always wanted to have a boat. He decided to do the, like, uh, down the Mississippi River, this loop thing. He's amazing. You know, they really kind of invested in it. And both of them had this very creative effect on the other side. And then other people who have, you know, really realized that they repeated a lot of the same mistakes that their parents did, then have they become their parent? They feel very yeah. much like they have. And how can I make this better? Because I realize that I'm, you know, I want, I'm not alone in this. I did have some effect on why I'm sitting here. And then they really put the time in and they go on all these independent like vacations. Basically, they're doing like an eat, pray, love type of situation where they're by themselves traveling to another country to try to figure out who they are and what they want and how they process information and how they process being somewhere they don't, they're not used to being, you know, and trying to have those reflective moments and opening themselves up to loving themselves to a point that they actually get there. Then they actually find this person who is absolutely their soulmate and go on to have, you know, these people were like, oh, I never wanted children. And then all of a sudden they want to have children. They have this beautiful family and this like this amazing transition. But the, all the ones who have what I would call an amazing transition came to me stating, I am going to use this as a reason to learn. I'm going to use this as a reason to learn. I want to reflect. I want to know. I want to look inside. I want to be exploratory in my processing, you know, like, they came that way. And I saw this beautiful result over and over. And when I heard you, it was like, now I understand this is exactly. And I kind of talked it up to adversity makes you stronger. Adversity makes you stronger. I had a terrible childhood. Adversity makes you stronger. But if I really think about the lessons that I've been teaching myself, it wasn't the adversity that made me stronger. The adversity led me to all of this processing of myself and why I do things in these reflective moments and trying to figure out how to be a better person and not let it cycle into my next, you know, into, I don't want my daughter to have, you know, I'm divorced as well. And I didn't get there by no fault of my own. <laughs> and so to make sure I'm, I'm breaking down the generation so that she's not traveling back in time to redeal with some painful event over and over and over as much as I do. You know what I'm saying? And and I and I've just seen this beautiful. So I just wanted to say thank you for 
being able to kind of put that into words for me to be able to describe to my clients better and then also to be able to have this podcast so that you can say it and they can kind of hear it. Because I do feel like the way that I can change how divorce is handled in America is by information. Just as people can kind of get this information, they can hear and it's all about being in a box and trying to manipulate the box to figure out how to get out of the box, you know, and I feel like that's, it's just my effort in trying to give that to this world. So I appreciate it. You're very kind to say that. And I'll just say a couple of things in response. Yeah. So first of all, you know, I think you're exactly right that to some extent, how you respond to a divorce is a choice, right? And it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because on the one hand, you don't, like when people go through terrible things, they struggle. Some people struggle more than others. And you don't want to shame people for not responding the right way. Sometimes it takes time, right? It might be that, you know, this process of learning from your divorce will take longer for some people than for others. First, they have to deal with just the emotional weight. We know that around 10%, this one study that showed around 10% of people go through divorce, they develop depression, and you need to focus on treating that depression if, if you're unlucky enough to be among that group, right? So a small proportion of people will have some mental Much challenges. smaller than I would even think, like, especially from what the self-reporting is. <laughs> well, that's true. Like, so it, it is, it, it is it's more than you would think, but if you're part of that, of that minority, you need help, and that's totally fine. I also think, you know, it's, and this is for people who might hear the claim that we've discussed that, oh, you know, our own experience might reflect in part our own childhood experience or our own past experiences. They might realize that and think, oh, there's nothing I can do about this, right? So, my life has already been decided. My childhood messed me up. Woe is me, right? <laughs> and it's a reasonable response, but ultimately, it's not a response that's going to be helpful, right? And again, like... It's not an adaptive response, I feel like. Exactly. And, you know, again, I'm not saying that, oh, you've gone through this terrible thing, but you need, you need to work harder. But it is true that once you've gone through something challenging, only you can make the decision to move past it, Right. Uh, only you can decide, okay, what can I do with my life going forward in order that I don't make the same mistake? Or in order, as you mentioned, that I model a different type of behavior for the people in my family or the people in my life. So I think, you know, I think one of the challenges in terms of communicating this to people, in terms of developing interventions to help people along this path, is how you get people past this experience of, oh, this happened to me, it's because of my past experience, there's nothing I can do to this place where they can think, oh, okay, all these things have happened to me, right? Maybe I had a challenge in childhood. Maybe I couldn't do a good job with this marriage. But I still have some agency. I still have some destiny about my future. Yes. And as, you know, one point I tried to make in the Hidden Brain uh, episode was that it's a very nuanced discussion to have, right? On the one hand, you do want to get too simplistic. On the other hand, you do want to say that, well, there's nothing you can do in terms of how you go forth and shape, shape your life. Because ultimately, to the extent to which you are able to move past your past and be the type of person that can model uh, better behaviors, model a better relationship dynamic for your family and for the people in your life, that's something that you have a lot of control over. Yes. Infinite control over, actually. <laughs> and that's the message that there are not a lot of people that will say to someone who's getting divorced your life is in your hands. You have a lot of control right now. You actually can make a lot of decisions right now for yourself and for your family that could lead you down a different path. And 
a lot of people think, oh, it's helpless, it's hopeless. Oh, let me tell you about how terrible mine was. Oh, when my mama went through this, oh, you're not even going to imagine the result that she had. You know, and it's just a very negative conversation. I try to be that light. <laughs> so I thank you for coming on to be that light with me today, even though I know that you're position is not necessarily that adversity in and of itself makes you stronger. But I did get that message loud and clear. And I do think that the way that you describe it, you know, with this nuance is a really appropriate one. And I honestly think it almost, to me personally, because it is a personal experience, I think it even makes it even more manageable, you know, that no, you don't have the weight of the world to make sure that you if you go through something hard that you must conquer it and defeat it, you know, but that you can have secondary control long enough to affect how your mind is going to handle it. And that is the recipe for success in so many ways, in so many ways. And so I really appreciate you being on here with me today. If you guys would like to look into any more of his research, there are tons of studies that he's done just on the brain and how people react and social circumstances that are very, very fascinating. But you can, of course, find us at ANR Law at any of our social or on the web. And please do listen to this entire season on collaborative because it is really, um, you know, has been my life's work to help people understand how collaborative benefits the process in general of divorce and how that helps then the family unit afterward. So if you guys would like to read the blogs and the research and look at the book, The Cure for Divorce Culture, and all of the research that we have there, thank you for joining us and for being part of our Divorce Healthy family. And thank you again so much, Rhonda, for being here with me. It really has been a pleasure. You're very kind. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And so for the next episode after this one, we will be recording soon on collaborative and crypto and all of the different intricacies that the court system cannot necessarily handle yet collaborative will be able to explore for you. So join us next time and we'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Divorce Healthy, your guide to mastering conflict resolution at home and in the workplace. To inquire about speaking engagements, purchase your copy of Ashley Nicole's book, The Cure for Divorce Culture, or to schedule your private orientation meeting, head to www.anrlaw.com. You can also find us on social media at ANR Law. Find a better way forward right here on Divorce Healthy.